RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Good morning and welcome to Closing the Distance. My name is Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and I am so lucky and happy to have Dr. Melissa hearing with us today. Melissa, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, as we do in Closing the Distance, we try to track the previous Sunday's sermons, themes, uh, explore them, and I, as we were just saying uh, offline, um, you know, on Sunday, we talked kind of like from a theological perspective about fear. And I thought it would be appropriate and helpful to get a, a therapeutic um, uh, perspective on fear, anxiety, worry, stress. So, okay, what are your qualifications uh, as an expert? To be in, able to talk about this? Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a psychologist. Um, uh, my background is in clinical psychology. Um, I've been in practice for... Um, more than half of my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, no, I do this every day. Um, we a, a lot of what I see and treat is uh, anxiety, depression, um, people just going through life. Um, and so yeah, it's a really relatable topic. Um, and um, yeah, it's really um, important for our time. Absolutely. What what do you experience in your practice? There's some common common experiences and struggles that people have with this area of fear and um well i think you know the, the term anxiety is really um is part of um just the american vernacular right now um everybody has anxiety and so you know i i get a lot of calls about anxiety and i you know one of the first things that i do um is to really figure out what that means <laughs> and you know are we really just talking about an, a stress response that's adaptive and appropriate, or are we talking about something that's off the rails and really causing um, a source of impairment in functioning? Um, and you know, even within the category of anxiety, like we use it very kind of generally and globally, but actually there are all these different types of anxiety disorders, um, and we really need to kind of figure out what the person is experiencing because the treatment is a little bit different depending on how it's presenting. How? How, what's the process you go in kind of diagnosing that? I mean, as if if we call anxiety is a like a, a suitcase word that we have a lot of stuff in. That's right. So how do you go through kind of figuring that out? Okay, so you know, I'm, uh, sort of what I do, but also let me just tell you generally, right? Like one of the things we need to look at, you know, people we need to think about there are kind of two different things that characterize anxiety, fear, worry, all of that. And one is kind of what you mentioned in the sermon, which is the physiological arousal when, you know, it's, I'm going to be a little teachy here for a second. Love it. <laughs> but 
then when the, autonom the, <laughs> when the autonomic nervous system turns on, right? And we have two branches. We have the sympathetic nervous system, which is part, the amygdala is part of that. It's our little watchdog that's always looking out for any kind of threat. And um, when it perceives a threat, bam, it sounds the alarm and sends stress hormones to the body, cortisol, adrenaline, others that are activating, mm -hmm. right? It prepare us to do something. Um, and so, so that's the physiological side, okay? And it's very common to experience those. Um, the other side of it is the cognitive side, our cognitions, our ideas, our thoughts, our thinking about it, our interpretations, the perceptions of what is happening. Okay, so I kind of have to assess like which is one or the other um, more prevalent and um, kind of go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how about let's talk about the phys the amygdala. Yeah, we brought yeah. that up uh -huh. on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how, with the physiological, how do we deal with those kinds of um, stressors? Yeah. Okay. So the thing is that, you know, I want to, I, I always kind of have to remind folks and myself <laughs> that our physiological responses are normative. They are mm -hmm. helpful. Okay. And, you know, in fact, just the first thing you do to get out of bed, when you sit up and stand and take a couple of steps, you had to release some stress hormones to be able to do that. Okay, so I tell folks, too, that there's there's nothing that's worth doing in this life that isn't also a little bit stressful. Mm -hmm. We need it to grow. Okay, so the thing is, so stress is part of life. It's very normative, right? We, we all have it. If we're doing anything that's worth doing, then we have it. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of learning how to manage it, that that's a whole set of skills. Mm -hmm. Right. And the way I and the, it's important to 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 figure this out, though. Right. Uh, for ourselves, for our kids, uh, because um, it really helps us to be able to go forward and do what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And the way that I think about this, because definitely there's toxic stress that we can't manage, can't control. But, you know, there are kind of different ways to, to mitigate it. First off, you know, we need to assess is what we're doing worth doing? Are we really passionate about it? Does it really matter? Is it really meaningful? And if not, then maybe we need to make some choices and problem solve around what we've gotten ourselves into. Um, the other thing is um, just in terms of like the physiological part. Now, I, I say physiological, if it's a physical symptom, let's look for a physical solution. Okay, okay keep it simple. Um, so I do have some resets. Um, and there are things that we need to kind of be paying attention to pretty regularly. One of the first is sleep. We need yeah. some quality sleep. And it's it's not always hard to get, but we can work at it. There are things that we can do that promote good sleep. Um, movement. That's my other big one. We flush out all those, you know, um, hormones, stress hormones and um you know, chemicals that have built up inside of our bodies and get them out, right? In a healthy way. However you want to do it, whenever you want to do it, as long as you're willing to do it. So what would count like going on a walk? Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be a, a huge big deal. You don't have to block off an hour or two. In fact, new research is showing that five little increments, little walk breaks <laughs> throughout the day are super effective in helping our mood. So- Absolutely. So, but really, I mean, if, if you're, if you're a gym rat, go to the gym. If you, it's what, if you're a tennis person, do tennis, what, whatever you're willing to do. Okay. okay. So that, um, and then, you know, 
Another one is diet, right? We need to kind of be paying attention to what we're putting in because there are definitely things that we put into our system that kind of hijack our system to self-regulate and mm -hmm. move us more towards anxiety and depression. Um, and then there are things that kind of like keep us more regulated and what would what would be some examples? So I think about like, remember um that book, Fast Food Nation? And then oh, like yeah. the, the guy came out, I think he did a documentary where he ate like McDonald's oh, sure. for like yeah. a month straight. Yeah. And it, yeah. it was not good. Yeah, no, there's definitely um, empirical evidence that um, things that we put into our bodies um, can trigger sort of inflammation in the body, which has been associated with high levels of anxiety and stress. And not only does it take um, a toll on our mental health, but our physical health as well. So examples would be um, anything in excess like, you know, um, sugar um, and caffeine too much, um, processed foods, all of those things too much. And, and another one, and this one is tricky, is alcohol, right? Like uh, what movie, what TV show do you not watch where somebody has a really hard day and they come home and they, you know, pour something, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, that it's actually not helpful over time um, and can kind of, again, hijack our natural systems that are meant to work for us. Um, so yeah, so diet. Um, and then the last two are um, engaging something um, creative. Oh. Like, I know, th these are things that I've kind of just, um, it's, it's a whole schema that I'm proposing. I've evolved over time, but it's really important. I think everybody has something um, that they need to tap into, that they can generate. Um, it's even better if we can use it to enhance somebody else's life. But just the act of, you know, getting into that zone and finding that flow and uh, just tapping into that other part of ourselves um, where the brain is kind of off, um, but we're still generating something. So whatever it is for you, um, and if we're learning something for the first time, even better. Um, but yeah, whether it's gardening or flower arranging or cooking or, you know, a, a visual art or a performance art or whatever the thing is, do that. And then lastly, and sometimes we can double dip is social. Um, mm. And that's to connect with others around something, um, really foster meaningful relationships. Um, there's some really powerful research that's come out that um, our, our social, the health of our social life is more predictive of our physical health as we age than almost any of these other things. So as much as we exercise, as much as we, <laughs> you know, watch our carbs and sugars and whatever's, um, yeah, if we're lonely and sad and isolated and cynical, um, it's really detrimental to our, our health process. That's so interesting. So yeah. folks who are listening. Get into church, get a part of a community group, come and serve, because that's a great for way. Sure, to for sure. For sure. Actually, like our, I was thinking about this, our church offers a lot of things that are really helpful in terms of um, addressing these things, whether it's through, um, you know, if you have a, if you do have a talent like the flower arrangements or, you know, ministry or the quilting ministry or um, Habitat for Humanity or whatever it is that you can do. Um, yeah, do that. And guess what? You're benefiting somebody else too. Wow. Win-win. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've talked okay. about the physiological. Let's, yeah, yeah. let's move to the more of the cognitive. How, yeah. how do you diagnose? Like what, what issues do you see with that kind of sphere? 
Okay, so I think we have there we have to kind of figure out like, um, is it situation specific? Okay, or is it more generalized and global? So I guess too, the other thing that might be helpful in this conversation is I do make a distinction and it's, I, I think of it kind of like on a continuum, um, these different words. And it sounds like just kind of semantics, but it kind of does matter <laughs> in my world, like how we talk about things. So, you know, from that, we talked about stress, right? And that's sort of a normative thing that pretty much everybody experiences and it's part of living a full, meaningful life, right? And, then, and and again, it's, there, it's that physiological activation part, right? Then we have fear, okay? And in my mind, fear is an immediate reaction, an immediate response to something that's been perceived as threatening. Now, whether it is or not, that's another matter, okay? But, but our fear is that response. Then we get into worry, okay? And worry is where the brain starts churning, Okay. <laughs> and we start having ideas and interpretations about what's happening. And worry is almost always not in that moment. It's almost always predicting the future. Okay. You with me? Nope. Fear nope. is in that moment. Fear is in the moment when it happens. Right. Okay. Worry is about, is it going to happen again? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then lastly, we have sort of like what I would call anxiety and anxiety disorders, where you have the both, where you have the physiological arousal and you have the cognitions about what's going to happen. Okay. And, you know, within that category of anxiety, again, like there are like five, six different anxiety disorders under that umbrella. And it's really important to kind of be able to tease those apart because again, the cognitive strategies that we employ are different for different ones. For example, if someone is having generalized anxiety disorder, which is characterized by just excessive worry and rumination about anything and everything under the sun all day long, and they're just <laughs> losing all the sleep, okay, there, instead of like employing our rational selves to kind of, you know, think about, well, what's, what's rational here? What's accurate? The more you do that, the more you kind of dig a hole. <laughs> yeah. right and I, I am out, aware of this <laughs> lots, lots <laughs> yeah, of the holes, right so there the strategy is more about learning how to dial back from that hmm. and learning how to control where we focus the mind where we focus our attention does that make sense yeah. now for other things um that are again more characterized um say a phobia okay or um even like kind of a a post-traumatic stress, right? Where something bad has happened and we have fear that's associated with anything that might be related to that event, right? Or, or the brain perceives as related to that event. Then kind of what you talked about in the sermon, um, there we have to employ some exposure strategies, okay? And we have to, and again, I want to be clear, like sometimes it's about just getting back on the horse and just doing that thing. Like you've had a bad car accident, guess what? If you want to drive, we need to get behind the wheel. Okay. And kind of the sooner, the better. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, no, because kind of the more we just think about it, the more we're just going to worry and it gets bigger than it needs to be. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, so that's one part. Um, the other thing that I want to be, you know, just sensitive about is that, um, you know, we, they used to have this um, exposure technique called flooding. 
right? You just like, if, if somebody has a fear of spiders, then you just go lock them in the, then you take them to the zoo and lock them in the spider room, right? And then they just write it out and write out the panic and then they're done, right? Well, we don't do that anymore <laughs> because that's pretty traumatic. Yeah. So what we do is we work with clients to create kind of a, a hierarchy of exposures. Okay. So that, you know, you take little baby steps, like what could we tolerate? What could we actually do? That's an approximation. It's not just staying where we are and sitting still. It's an it's a little bit closer, but and we kind of create a, a a stepwise process. And once we're comfortable at one level, then we level up, mm -hmm. and we do the next thing, and then we do the next. Okay, so so that's those are types of exposure therapies. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so my, my wife, I don't think she might be sharing this. Okay. She's got a phobia of bagels. Mm. It's like, I was going to ask you what's the weirdest, like what's the most bizarre kind of phobia you've seen, but maybe that's not fair to ask you. So I'll offer my wife. But, okay. but I've seen her over, like she couldn't walk down the bagel aisle at the store. I mean, kind of, and, but over time she's gotten more okay with it. Yeah. She's not like, she is not going to eat a bagel. Well, right. And, well, so here's the other thing, and this is actually an important point. Um, you know, in general, when I'm talking about the land of anxiety, in general, my philosophy is avoidance is not the answer. In general, okay, okay, because anxiety is is telling us that's not safe. Don't do it. Shut it down. Don't approach it. Bad things are going to happen, right? And in general, that's not great, especially if it's something a part of our lives that's you know really important and valuable. Right. Like when we when school becomes that or when giving talks becomes that or when showing up for anything social is that then that's unfair. And we're going to start missing out on things that are really important to us. So Absolutely. but I do think we have to use judgment. Right. And, you know, my own example <laughs> would be uh, scary movies. Right. I went through a whole phase where all my friends wanted to go see scary movies <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would try to endure it. And then for months later, I'm having nightmares. <laughs> of these horrible things. So over time, I've realized that, you know what, I really don't have to expose myself to that. And avoidance is actually totally appropriate. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm with you. No scary movies. No, no scary movies for me. No, not <laughs> Got a boundary with it. <laughs> yeah, well, you mentioned this. Um, a mother had told me that their son had a fear of knives. Mm. He himself. He was worried that, you know, so you couldn't give your, and so they had to kind of, over time, they met with a therapist and they did exposure therapy. Yeah. And now he's okay. Cause you, you need to open letters with something. You need to cut your meals, you know, like, and so it was over time though, it was an appropriate kind of exposure to getting over that fear. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't want to get us too off topic, but one more category that I neglected in my, um, there are two more disorders that I, I didn't mention that I think are really common. Um, one is panic disorder. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have that flood of really intense physiological symptoms and it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, if, uh, and it's characterized by a fear of dying. And then the disorder becomes, is that thing going to you know happen wherever I go? right? And it's terrifying. So that one can be very limiting as well. And the last one, which it's not technically anywhere. When I was in grad school, it was part of the anxiety disorder sort of cluster. Um, these days they've taken it out because it's kind of its own beast, but that's um, the obsessive compulsive disorders. 
they, they're characterized both by the cognitions and the behavioral response to like do something to kind of mitigate it. Okay. We, so sorry, I don't mean to like. It's no, that's that, that's exactly no. This is yeah. This yeah. Is what um, what's kind of the line do you think where somebody can deal with this stuff themselves, or do they need to come and seek professional help? They need to come. Um, see different for everybody you know a lot of people have some really good resources mm -hmm. you know and there are lots of really good resources that are available I mean if anything these days you know what's great about the profession is that it's pretty accessible to more than at any point in my career um just resources that aren't in a formal therapeutic setting um whether it's you know podcasts and websites and you know workbooks and you know all kinds of self-help things and they're pretty credible um and so people can you know do a lot also you know they're I, I say this with caution, but there are resources around us that are really helpful. Um, you know, like you mentioned the Stephen ministry, or you mentioned, you know, like if we have really close friends, which I hope we have one or two, um, you know, they can be helpful. But look, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's just not comfortable and life is too short to suffer, no one needs to suffer. And there are really effective treatments out there. No one needs to suffer with anxiety at yeah. this point in time well beyond being a therapist um you, you know you, you've raised two boys and yeah. it's still it's still not we'll doing it <laughs> and i you know and i've got young kids now yeah. and I'm, I'm thinking a lot more <laughs> these days about um parenting strategies and yeah. like, and and when it comes to fear what is could you give us some guidance for us parents out here about developmental strategies and being a good parent when it comes to fear and anxiety with kids? Yeah. So first things first, I would, before, whenever I talk about parenting, okay, I think about very much in sort of a, a top-down way, right? Like we have to be good with ourselves and have a grip on our own um, anxiety before we can teach somebody else how to manage theirs. Okay. So, you know, it's not really fair. I also try to be fair. It's not fair to ask our kids to be brave and to do hard things if we're really not showing up for things that are hard for us. Okay. okay we got to humble ourselves and check ourselves. Right. Okay. So besides that, let's say we've done that and we're pretty good with managing our own anxiety. We're not too fearful of the world in general. Um, we have to, um, whenever we talk about anything with kids, we have to think about the developmental stage they're in, right? So what you do for preschool kids is definitely different than what you do for an elementary school kid, right? So a lot of it starts with like, you know, when they're young, you're just trying to soothe them and like teach them how to regulate themselves when they're upset, that physiological thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then as they get older, then you can employ more of the cognitive strategies. Okay. And I think the thing that's uh, the, the trap for parents, and we, we've all kind of fallen into it, is that we feel such um, an urge and compulsion to just make it better, to just fix it. Okay. okay? And I think um, the more helpful thing for our kids is to teach them how to work through things for themselves. Okay. And not that we're, we're not leaving them alone with it, but that we're teaching them how to be creative, 
and how to think about things differently and how to challenge the thoughts that they have. And this is one of the most, I, I skipped over this. Back on the cognitive side, I think one of the most fundamental things that anybody needs to know is that just because we have a thought doesn't mean it's true. Okay. okay. <laughs> and, and, and seriously, and, and, and it's been shown that anxiety and depression um, are, are both kind of intruders that hijack our thought process. And there are certain like cognitive errors that we make. And if we can start to question, wait, or, or notice that I'm having a feeling and like, wait, what's going on? Why, why am I feeling that? Where's that coming from? And kind of, you know, get into that. That's fine. So with our kids, yeah, we can kind of talk to them. And the other thing that I'll say, we can talk to them about how to like, you know, think critically about their own situation too. Logic doesn't always work for kids. That's fine. And sometimes we have, to, they have to use more like play strategies and like fun, cute little things or whatever. Like I had a friend who, um, their son went through a stage of being afraid of snakes. And the thing that worked for him because he he had become aware of like traffic signs and rules and all this. He was in that stage of rules. Is he made a sign, a poster for his door that said, no snakes allowed. <laughs> That's great. That worked for him, right? Wow. So we kind of have to um, just work with them and be creative. And then as they're older, of course, as teenagers, you know, they can really start to do some of that hard work mm -hmm. of thinking, of challenging their thoughts and like doing some of that internal regulating and, and all of that themselves. Um, the last thing that I want to say is parents, again, this is a, a hard, um, this, is, this is a tricky one, is again, we want them to have a great experience. We want them to be happy. We want them to have the best, whatever. Um, but I think we have to be careful. And um, I, I think we have to check this idea that we can or should curate a perfect environment for them. Because number one, it doesn't exist. And number two, it deprives them the opportunity to be comfortable or to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly is, you know, we kind of have to debunk this, I don't know, and it, I, I kind of think about it almost as a, this sort of false god of perfectionism. Mm. You know, it's, it's pervasive in our culture. And it's, uh, you know, defined differently by different people. But the idea that we can be everything to all people at all times, um, it, it's, it's, it's just not possible. And um, I think when people can really kind of dial into their own value system, um, then they can kind of like pick and choose where they want to put those efforts. Um, and it's okay to not be perfect. It's just not a thing. So to debunk that really quickly in our kids is really important. Well, that's, that's a good word. Well, that's really good. Okay. As we're wrapping up here, okay. um, what are some resources you might suggest to folks that they could consult to help them? They want to follow up and dig a little deeper. Yeah, sure. I would say, so the treatment of choice for anything in the anxiety spectrum is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay, like bringing the cognitions to awareness mm -hmm. and, you know, looking at behaviors that promote or um, take away from our adjustment, because all of that, it's kind of this triangle, our thoughts, our behaviors affect our feelings. Mm. Okay. And so we can kind of intervene on these different places. So there are tons of resources. Um, there are tons of self-help books, but I would definitely look for those words, 
cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Yes. Um, there are apps for it. Um, there, um, there are some good websites. Um, uh, Aaron uh, Beck was kind of the father, I guess, of some of this theory. Um, and there's an institute, of course. Um, so there's a great website that goes with that. Learn.beckinstitute.org is really good. Um, of course, the American Psychological Association, that those are, you know, my people, but all the other professional counseling um, organizations are good too. Our state counseling organizations and psychological organizations are good. Um, and then finally, um, there are some apps that are really helpful. Many are, are um, very common and used. Um, that Calm and Headspace, those are good for like learning those downshifting techniques to, to bring the system down and calm. Um, but also many also have um, sort of like little seminars um, where experts in the field give lessons on mental health. Um, and then lastly, I would say some, some, um, some regular podcasts that I follow are um, Hidden Brain. <laughs> it's really science-based um, social psychology research that also impacts our health and mental health. Um, being well is another one and happiness lab is another and finally one more little plug is um the ted radio hour um they have a whole series um that was done sort of earlier this year about um the effects of um um how, how we basically how we've evolved with technology in our lives and how um not only physically we're adapting to our technology, but also all the stress and the toll that it's taking there. And there's a lot of research that's being done on, again, cognitive and behavioral strategies to mitigate these influences. Um, yeah, because the technology's here. I mean, it's part of life. Wow. Well, yeah. and I'm sorry. no, that's, that's exactly. Listen, this has been so good. Thank you so much for taking your time to help us think about these issues revolving around fear, uh, give us some strategies. And definitely, I've learned a ton. Uh, so thank you so much for closing the distance with us. It's been Dr. Melissa Herring. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great week, Melissa. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.